Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good to be here with you. I am excited about the message that God has shown me over the years, really. Also just really enjoyed the uh, service so far. I had to think of yeah, the first song we sang, um, A man is no fool to give what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Um, I believe that was written by Jim Elliott. And I'm just going to say, if you haven't read the story of Jim Elliott, please do so. It will impact your life. Um, it's it's my desire that I could somehow pick up a little bit of the passion that Jim Elliott had. If you recall, he was a missionary um, in Ecuador, I believe, and he had a passion for an unre- unreached people group um, that were known to kill white people on sight. Um, ended up, him and three of his companions gave their lives trying to reach these people. The thing is, that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. Um, Through that event, these people were reached, and Jim's wife, Elizabeth, writes about that story. She's now passed, but an amazing story. Do yourself a favor. I believe the book's in the library. Pick up the book. Buy the book on Amazon, on your phone, if you want. Through Gates of Splendor is the book that, yes, thanks James. So this morning, I want, to, I want to share with you just some principles of leadership that I have learned over the years. And so in doing so, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 20. Let's, let's, let's all stand for the reading of, of the word. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, kneeling before him, she asked for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be, your, would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You can be seated again. So, some of you may have noticed that we, we talk quite a bit about leadership around here, and that's not an accident. That's intentional. As a leadership team, we believe that leadership is very important. And so I'm going to share with you a couple principles. This is principles, not necessarily um, t- 
tactics or, or some of the nuts and bolts, or we're not also going to talk about specific roles, per se, of, let's say, mother or father or employer or teacher or pastor, elder. Um, we're not going to talk about specific roles, but we're going to look at some principles that undergird, that should undergird each of these different roles. Remember, leadership is not a title, it's not a position or a role. And I would also like to say at this time that maybe in some ways the message this morning could be a tribute to the three senior members of our leadership team. Uh, Much of what I'm going to share with you this morning, I have learned from them. And not so much in the things that they have said, although I have learned things, all of them have spoken into my life, but probably more so from the life that they've lived. And so I just want to be on the record as saying I am so grateful for these men that have invested deeply, that have lived humble lives and have shepherded well. So, if you recall, a number of weeks ago, Twyla and Lisa had their Sunday school class sing a few songs for us. And that, that uh, I, I just really enjoyed that. I just want to thank you, Lisa and Twyla, for, for investing um, in those young children. And as I sat there and listened to these children sing and then thought about it later, This little choir, I think, underscores two things that are really, really important for us as a congregation. And so I want to talk about those two things this morning. The first one is that everything changes. And let me let me say, all right, I know God doesn't change, right? We we're we're making, I'm assuming my audience knows that. God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. But outside of that, everything changes. Think back five years. Where were we at five years ago? The little choir, most of them probably weren't born. We weren't meeting in this building. Some of you weren't attending here. Some of you have lost loved ones. Some of you have married. Some of you have had children. Just think back in your, yeah, your, own, your own personal lives. I know for us, five years has brought some big changes in our lives. And the thing that we can learn from that, the thing that we have to learn from that, is that the next five years will bring big changes. In fact, we won't necessarily, you know, these changes happen a little bit at a time. We won't necessarily meet here again in this way because this little change happens one day at a time. But over and over, in fact, I've, I've said it this way already, and, and again, this is, this is with the assumption that, that God doesn't change, right? But so 
let's say it this way. The only thing that does stay the same, there is one thing outside of God that stays the same. Well, that's that everything changes. That's one thing that stays the same. A hundred years ago, everything was also changing. And so, in that way, it's still the same as it was a hundred years ago. So, you know, I know for many of us, you know, we have fond memories of days gone by, you know, the good old days. I mean, we all speak about the good old days. And what I want to tell you this morning is that the good old days are a myth. In fact, psychologists have done some studies on that, and the interesting thing is that almost every person thinks of the good old days from the time that they are 5 to about 20. And our human brains are wired in such a way that we tend to forget the bad things and we remember the good things. And so we have all these fond memories of going to grandma's house for Christmas and all, you know, just all this, this great nostalgia that we love. And so we tend to think, it's easy for us to think, especially as we get a little bit older and we have responsibilities, it's easy for us to think that... Boy, if we could just go back to the good old days when life was more simple. But <laughs> oh, there's one in every crowd. Yeah. <laughs> there's one in every crowd. But it's still myth. <laughs> um yeah, history, history will tell us that even ancient civilizations talked about days, you know, better days. And, and maybe, maybe, you know, just to give you an example, maybe in politics right now, we all know our politics are extremely divided in this country, and, you know, there's just uh, uh, a lot of division and a lot of uh, just bad things going on. Well, it's, it's kind of easy to think that, hey, it is getting really bad. And I, I'm not trying to downplay anything, right? Except that, remember, did you know that in 1860, Abraham Lincoln's name wasn't even on the ballot in a few southern states? So, political corruption is nothing new. Is it bad today? Yes, it is. Is it going to get better? No, I don't think so. But it was bad already for a long time. So, I would like for us to draw a few lessons from this, this topic of everything changes from the parable of the talents. And, and you can turn there if you want, Matthew 25. I'm not going to read it. But remember, in Matthew 25, the context of that passage is that Jesus is talking about the end times, starting in Matthew 24, speaking about the end times, and then a number of those parables, if you really read them together, they are speaking about waiting for his second coming. Remember the parable just prior to this is the parable of the ten virgins, and then we have the parable of the talents, and a couple things that we need to know about that parable is that the talents that are being spoken of are not necessarily talents like we think of talents as far as an ability to do something well. A talent is a measure of weight which is often used for silver or gold. And so it's important that we understand Jesus is telling a story using money as an analogy about his kingdom. 
And if we, if it's a little hard to find the number of what the value would have been of, of the five and the two and the one, but if it was silver, it was quite a bit of money. And if it was gold, it, was, it would have been millions in today's dollars. So the master in the story the, is, is, is giving his servants, or, or slaves actually, the Greek word's doulos, there it's slaves. And that's important to remember in the context. He gives each according to their abilities. And so there we have a reference to different giftings and different abilities within the congregation or within, within the body. But it doesn't seem that the amount necessarily is what he's driving at. Rather, it's what they did with it. And so we know the story, the, the, the slave with the five went invested and gained five more. The slave with the two went and invested and gained two more. And think about this a little bit. You know, this isn't just simply they doubled their investment. And we don't know how long, but for a little while the, the master was gone. But to double your investment is pretty substantial. They probably didn't just buy stocks or invest in forward or whatever. They probably, you know, they had to put some thought into how this money was invested. They were active for whose benefit? They were active for, this wasn't their money. Because when, when, the, when the master came back, they gave it all, including the, the gain. Remember the master comes back and the servant with five says, look, you've gave me five and I have ten. And what the master says is significant. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. The same answer for both servants, the two and the five. And so the, the answer, I believe, is, is significant. Um, I would also like to just plug in here. Remember Pastor Layton taught a message here a number of weeks ago that, about how that we will probably be, be, be busier in glory than we are today, right? We're, not, we're, we're going to be working um, when the Lord returns. Notice the answer here. I, I believe... Leighton is correct. Notice also, so this money, whatever this, in this analogy, that the master gave was a lot of money, right? So it's, it's five bags of gold, millions of dollars in today's money. He comes back and he has gained, doubled his money, but his master says, I will make you, you have been faithful over a few things, but I will make you ruler over many things. See, we have no comprehension of what is to come. And the glory and the work that we'll be involved in. But what I really want in this passage is notice the last servant. The servant that had one. He who had received one, he went and buried it, right? Right? And when his master came, 
He says, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. So, I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, here you have what is yours. And we know the answer was that he is a wicked servant. The talent that he had was given to the one with ten, with many. He was cast into outer darkness because he was a wicked servant. Now, he, all he did was preserve what he had. He didn't lose any. He gave it all back. He didn't gain anything, but he also didn't lose anything. Because he knew that the expectations were high. So he buried it. And let's think this through. He, he probably sealed it in a nice container so it wouldn't get wet and wouldn't get damaged. He probably checked up on it to make sure that nobody stole it. And when the master came back, he says, Look, I have kept what is yours. Here it is. He had preserved what he had been given. Now, I believe much more than we think that we do. We are like that wicked servant. We have been given much. All of us. The amount isn't what matters. We've been given something. What are we doing with it? See, the gravitational pull of any organization is to preserve what we have. And maybe, let's think about this in a business sense uh, rather than a church setting. But we often, so think about a young entrepreneur that is, is he has big dreams, big plans, he, he goes invests, and he, he's, he's going to um, either make it big or go broke. So suppose he does do well in business, and 20 years, 30 years go by, and now this man is 50 or 60, and he's done well, and he has other young, ambitious entrepreneurs that are wanting to go big or go broke. And this man is holding on to what he has because he's worked hard for it. And the risk is no longer worth the investment. And so the temptation for all of us, always, in any organization, is that we want to preserve what we have. And I think more than we realize... This is especially true for churches. We begin, we, we, we reach a level of success. We reach a level where we, we have, you know, we, I mean, think about it. We all love what we have, right? We don't want to lose it. So let's, let's be a little careful with what we have. But 
if everything changes, we better invest wisely or we will lose what we have anyway. And so, as I look at this, as I, as, I, as I thought about this little choir, I was motivated that it is imperative that we need to invest wisely and that requires us investing well into leadership. And so, that's the second thing that I learned as I observed from our little choir is that everything changes, therefore leadership is of utmost importance. Now again, as I mentioned, I'm not speaking about specific roles. I'm not going to talk about being a father or, or uh, whatever role that might be. But I do want to speak some, some, about some principles, and I really do believe that these principles, the essence of what I'm going to talk about, apply to everyone. And it's important, it's especially important, if you do have a role as a leader, that we understand these. Otherwise, those in our care, those that have been entrusted in our care, will suffer. And so I'd like to begin by bringing some definition to leadership. And we're going to get that from Matthew chapter 20. We've read some of that. And I want to pick up, I want us to think a little bit about this story about, you know, so James and John, um, they go with their mother and they, they are so, it seems like this has kind of been some ongoing conversation you know, and, and they are, you know, thinking about what's happening. So they have a rabbi, they have a leader, and they, are ex- they believe him to be the Messiah. And so they're expecting that he will usher in a new kingdom, a new government of some kind. And so they're thinking, you know, as all of us are inclined to think, well, so there's 12 of us, and you know, there's going to need to be some, so, some form of, of government, some form of, uh, you know, there's going to be some, some leadership roles that need to be filled here. And, you know, obviously they've been talking about this because James and John get their heads together with their mother, and they go to Jesus, and they say, hey, so when this happens, we want to be next in command. We want to be number two, essentially, is what they said. And we can imagine when the others heard about it, they weren't very happy, which only reveals that they were bummed out that they hadn't thought about it first. <laughs> James and John, you guys. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers, and, and this is so important, this, this is so important, this passage. Jesus takes time and he teaches his disciples. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But for you, it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be be your servant, and whoever would be first among you 
must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So sometimes we talk about this as power over versus power under. That's maybe one way to describe it. We as human beings, the, the disciples, clearly they were thinking about some type of, of power over where they were, would be able to control because of the power that they had. But Jesus is saying, no, it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great must be your servant. And then he likens it as to himself. And so, Jesus really is, is inviting us into this, this different model of leadership where he exemplifies what that looks like. And so, one of the things to notice here is that this, this leadership, this Jesus never did coerce or demand anything from anybody. Rather, he invites us into relationship with him. And so, John, this is how John Maxwell sums this up. Leadership is influence. It's not title or position. And, and this is why I think this is so important for all of us, because all of us are able to influence somebody in a positive way, to enable them to help them on their journey into their relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't, you don't need to have a title or a position to be a leader. And so there are three principles that I have learned over the years that are very important, imperative for us to understand if we are going to have influence in somebody else's life. And by the way, I, the, the parable, the talents, along with the, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, we are, all of us are asked to, we're invited by Jesus to invite others, to invest, right? To invite others into the journey. <clears throat> So, the first principle is honesty. And I know some of you are thinking, well, I mean, that's obvious. Nobody should lie, right? We, we are all taught this as children. We know, um, you know, Colossians, we know passages like, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man. And obviously, of course, any leader that's worth following should never be untruthful towards another person. However, here's the critical thing. The person that we lie to the most, do you know who that is? Ourselves. The older I get, the more I find that the person we lie to the most is ourselves. If you're going to have influence in somebody else's life, it is imperative that we are first honest with ourselves. You see, we all have this lawyer 
living within ourselves. This lawyer is a master at vindicating us of amazing things. That lawyer, do you know what his name is? That lawyer is named Self, and he needs to die. That guy needs to die. And we need to be honest with ourselves. So let's flesh this out a little bit. Jesus' ministry was a ministry of repentance. Again and again in the Gospels, Jesus starts his ministry with um, saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and he sends out, sends out the 12, repent, te- telling them to say, go into the cities, teach them about repentance. The, in, in Acts, read through Acts, when Peter t- preached at Pentecost and the people asked, what should we do? His response was, repent. If we're going to repent, and that word repent literally means to change my mind or to align myself with God, to align myself with truth, to stop lying about who I want to be, who I think that I am, and align myself with truth. So the only way we can change our mind is if we first acknowledge that the way I have been thinking is wrong. You see, if I don't think that I'm wrong, I can't change my mind. And so it is imperative that we have to be honest with ourselves. If we are not, our leadership, our influence on those entrusted in our care, whether that's our children, whether that's um, a congregation, whether that's employees, whatever that might look like, students, our ability to influence those people is severely limited because we have no influence. Because there's things, remember Paul and Trish has sung this song, um, the, the title is uh, The Secret Place. And in that song, the writer depicts our hearts as a house. And the writer speaks of we let Jesus in the front door. I'm paraphrasing. But then there's other rooms back here where the door is locked. And this is so true. We let Jesus in. Many of us stop there. But Jesus wants to clean every room in the house, not just the foyer or the living room. And if we are not honest with ourselves and allow him into those rooms, I mean, some of those rooms have been locked for years. Some of those rooms have things in them that we have kind of forgotten about. And if we can't open the door ourselves, we need to get some help. We need to ask our spouse or our pastor or maybe even a professional counselor. We need, it is imperative that we open those rooms and allow Jesus and his light to come in. Otherwise, our influence is severely limited. Any leader worth following will always be honest with himself. The second one is submission. 
any leader will always know who their authority is and who they answer to, and they will honor and submit to that authority. Even Jesus himself, in John chapter 5, he's in trouble with the Jews, and he tells them the reason he's in trouble is because he'd healed, he'd healed the blind man, but then he goes on and he tells them that I say to you, the son does nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son does also in like manner. And again in verse 30, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of my Father who sent me. Any leader worth following knows who his leader is, and they are submissive to that leader. And maybe something that I'd like to, to plug in here you know, sometimes, and I'm not sure if this is just, just, just um, pertinent to church settings, but sometimes leaders are accused of having an agenda. And I'd like to bring some clarity to that. Any leader worth following will have an agenda. Now, it is possible, it's very possible, that that agenda can be corrupted. And it is a selfish agenda. However, any leader worth following, if he is submitted to his authority, will have an agenda. And that is to do the will of his authority. That makes sense? Jesus, as a part of the triune Godhead, did not do anything without the approval from the Father. There's a second thing about this thing with submission, and that is, I believe this is why it's so important that we commission Jonathan Debbie or um, that we send off Derek and Brooke or David and Cheyenne or, uh, because it is the body acknowledging and calling out or giving authority to that work. And in the same way, if, in, in fact, let me, let me just say this, you know, Jonathan and Debbie have initiated the conversation in the beginning. And so they came to their authority with what they believe God had laid on their hearts. And so it is important, it is imperative that the, we have these connections, that if there is a a uh, regular ongoing work that is happening within the body, that this is connected to the proper channels. This is also why I believe this is, it is so important that we raise the bar of leadership. Because if we do not, as leaders, raise the bar of our own leadership, then we are severely limiting those in our care. This could be a passive father, it could be a workplace employer, or it could be a pastor who, for whatever reason, is 
selfish or seeking, maybe he's seeking to preserve something. Um, someone who isn't honest with themselves, someone who's not submitting. When that happens, we end up creating a situation like Saul and David, where we put those that have been entrusted in our care in a very difficult position. If you find yourself there, I would like to point you to David. It's not always easy, but it does happen. Remember, David refused to lift his hand against the Lord's Lord's anointed. It is imperative as leaders that we, even if it's poor leadership, we submit ourselves and honor that leadership because God has put him there. A leader worth following will always submit to his authority. The second, the, the last word, third word, authenticity. And I know this is kind of a buzzword. I hesitated to use it. This is one of those words that secular uh, circles and progressive Christianity have kind of taken and given it a new twist. Often, recently, when we hear this word, it means um, you know, that we're looking inside ourselves. We're just being who we are. We're finding our own truth inside of ourselves. I mean, we're just being authentic. Well, if we look in the dictionary, that's not the meaning of the word. And I think we can still use the word as it's been intended to be used. A part of that definition is not to be false or an imitation. It's real. It's actual. It's genuine. And let me explain why this is so important for a leader. It is imperative that, that any leader understands that God is first doing a work in their lives. That the way to minister is to invite others into the work that God's doing in your life. Listen to what Paul says. Remember Paul? He went to Damascus, started out to Damascus to persecute the Christians. He was more zealous, he says, than any of his colleagues. Here's what he says to Timothy. He's speaking of the gospel in 1 Timothy chapter 1. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. The grace of our God, this is Timothy, this is is Paul's testimony. The grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And this is a faithful saying. 
and it's worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of which I am chief. Paul was very authentic. He didn't hide who he was. He was real. I am the chief of sinners. And look at what God has done in my life. See, your sin, your brokenness, and your pain, the healing of that is always the platform or the foundation of your leadership or of your ministry. That's never wasted. It becomes the launching pad. It becomes the way to reach those in your care. And that's an ongoing process. That's not something that happens once. Paul goes on to say, he says, For this reason I have obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. In other words, Paul's saying that my life is a pattern. It's the launching pad of my ministry. Jesus Christ has called me, has saved me. And that is what gives me, that's where I get the authority to teach you these things because of the work that he's done in my life. Leading is always first about what God is doing in your life. In closing, a leader worth following is always honest, submissive, and authentic. I'd like to pray, and then James, I'll let you close. Lord, we are so grateful that you have called us. We are so grateful that you have loved us, that you have initiated a way for us to know you, to be known by you, to love you. I pray, Lord, that each of us would be able to, to be people of influence, that we would invest the gifts that you've given to us wisely that we would reach out, that those around us would know that something has changed in our lives. Let's pray in Jesus' name. Amen.